Hey, Alicia. Hey, Mary. How are you? I'm good. Let's get into this. What are you thinking okay. about today? Um, I thought tonight's topic could be t- tools. Um, teacher tools and student tools. Okay. Tools they would use in the classroom. Um, I've just um, been seeing a lot of things and reading different professional um, development books about um, what students are doing during their independent work time. And it just kind of got me thinking about um, different sites and resources where teachers go and can gather things quickly. And I'm thinking about standards and real-world application and was just kind of wondering, are the tools that the students are using, are they really um, preparing them for that real-world application? Um, I know that sometimes work packets are still utilized a lot because they're quick and convenient. Um, But I think as real readers, writers, and and mathematicians, are those the most appropriate um, tools to prepare students to be real-world readers, writers, and and mathematicians, or scientists and historians for that matter. So when you say real world, I'm hearing authentic. Yes. Something that would actually be used by a learner out there, or like we would use every day in our own workplace, in our own pursuing our own interests and our own passions as adults. What, how do we do that and what are the tools that we use? Is that what you're thinking about? That is what I'm thinking about. Okay, I want to say one thing though. I think low prep um, is maybe something that maybe we should talk about because low prep, when teachers think about low prep um, items, <laughs> lessons, uh, experiences they plan for their kids, uh, that's not always good. It's not always bad either. Um, low prep is definitely desire, desired because yes. you can't spend an inordinate amount of time planning everything, but there come dangers too with things that say they're low prep, but they're not real world, right? I think there are some things um, that, that you can arm your classroom with that are um, low prep eventually and that are sustainable throughout the school year. I'm thinking classroom libraries come to mind. Okay. um, Because you're teaching your students kind of all year how to use those and you can use the resources in your libraries many different ways um, in many different subject areas. And you prep those and get those ready at the beginning of the year. But there are so many ways to use those. Yeah, library is so versatile. Um, so there are some things, so I think I'm hearing you say some things are high, may start out high prep, but then they become low prep. So if you have a classroom library and you're working with primary kids or maybe you know pre-primary kindergarten level kids, they have to learn how to use the library for it to become part of the routine and be a low prep type experience for yes. them. And I think just the initial setup of a classroom library itself, no matter what level you are. Oh, for the takes, teacher. Takes some time. Right, mm-hmm. the teacher setting it For up. however you organize it or mm-hmm. um, set it up, that's time consuming at first. I'm thinking about a reader's yeah. notebook too. That would be an authentic yes. tool. Is that what you're um, That's exactly what I was at? thinking. Mm-hmm. Or in a writer's notebook because I'm... In a math notebook, science note, right. I try to think about, well, 
do I use something like that in my life? Yes. <laughs> I have an, I, I mean, I know you still like your paper pen, nice pens and everything, your color coding that you use and everything, just beautiful and nice. But um, since I got a new iPad with, that came with a very um, functional pen, all of my notebooks are in my iPad and they, I still do handwrite in them because I like that feeling of handwriting. But um, I use them for everything. I mean, I have so many notebooks. So having a kid know that that's a collection of their own ideas they can go back to and revisit, that's real world, I think. And, and I think it's a great way for them to have a choice in how their thoughts and work um, is organized. Because I may have an organizational system that works for me mm -hmm. as a learner, but someone else may have something completely different. And they're... Um, notebook may be organized in a completely different way, but can contain the same information that's needed. Um, I've seen kids sketch things out. Other kids like to like like to write. I like to type my notes out. Um, I still have colleagues that just prefer to to write the notes down. So I, I think students having an option and knowing how to do that and that those tools are out there. Um, I think calling them tools too is helpful because mm -hmm. they really are learning tools mm -hmm. um, for kids to use and expand it into adulthood. Um, I think paper choice, like you said, whether it's media, um, yes, digital resources. I'm just thinking of dictionaries. When I was younger, I learned how to do, you know, use a dictionary. I rarely use a dictionary anymore. I go right to Google and do a search. That's my real world, or do it on my phone. Right. Uh, you know, my I'll, students do that, too. They've learned yeah. that if they can spell at least enough of a word that um, Google can pick it up and give them the correct spelling, especially, the, well, I guess it's all my students really can do that, but the third, fourth, and fifth graders that are trying to write more sophisticated words. I'm just remembering yesterday there was a girl in fifth grade who was trying to write pneumonia. And she couldn't get it to come up in, um, you know, in Google. And I said, try starting it with a P. And that was a real aha. And it, she thought about that and was sharing that with other kids. And I thought, you know, she's probably going to remember that really well because she was trying to use a tool that's important to her and wasn't able to get it to work the way she wanted it to until she had that piece of knowledge. I hadn't thought about that until you brought that up today. Yeah. And she probably will remember that now. Mm -hmm and how to use it. So what kind of tools do you think, to, like what kind of room do you walk into and you say, oh, oh well, I mean, I guess I can say one thing, you gotta have a lot of mentor text. You gotta have chapter books, you gotta have yes. picture books. I mean, I, don't, I think you and I have talked about this before, but how often does a lesson start with a great book or a chapter or, or a, a, a monologue or, I don't know how you teach without that. I don't know. I, I always, that's always the first place that I go when I'm trying to think about what I want to do. Or, or even a video clip that just grabs you. Mm -hmm. As, I mean, something that is going to hook them in and say, I want to, you know, I want to learn more about this. Um, definitely, but I think just any kind of text in general, but I think there needs to be a variety available and students have to be exposed to those different types, mm -hmm. whether they're online or, or not. Um, and I, I just think about um, 
students, the first thing that you usually do, especially if they have phones, most of the older students have phones. Yes, they do. And they get on in there. I mean, if you go to Yahoo or is your home page, it's full of them. There's so much information on one page. Do they know how to navigate through all that? No. You know, I can have, tell you they don't know how to navigate. Have they been taught, like, if, if they read an article, you know, do they know to go to the bottom to see where that source comes from? You know, do they have those kind of tools, or do they just take for granted, okay, this is what I've been given, this is the article I've been given to read, I'm just going to trust that that's what, um, what is said, it's in this black and white, and our world's not black and white, and the Internet's not black and white, and it's not just a single article in front of us either. So we just have to learn how to navigate through, I just think of advertisements, that pop, the pop-ups. Yeah, that's 21st century literacy. That is where you're going now, and that is a whole other thing, because kids, um, and I know this from my own kids, and I know your kids have had access to tech, you know, for a while, and so have mine, but they didn't necessarily know how to use their phones, especially their phones as a tool. Right. I had to show my son who could build his own desktop computer in middle school, I had to show him how to use the calendar feature on his iPhone. Um, he didn't know, he had just never really thought about how he could use it to like put his assignments in there so he doesn't have to use his um, you know, notebook or whatever or to set a reminder for himself. He didn't know how to do any of that stuff, but he could do anything with a game system or he could do anything on social media. They also don't often know, they hear fake news, you know, that's a term they hear all the time, but they don't know how to tell, you know, when was this published, who published it, what, you know, you can look at the, um, the address, is it a .com, is it a .org, is it a .edu, what do those things mean? All of those things are out there available for teachers to teach to their students. And it seems a little bit irresponsible for us not to do that because that's the future of reading really, you know, and, and comprehending is about, like you were saying, where's this hyperlink? Where did that come from? Who, what else does this person do? Like, where does this author, you know, there's great things in the common core, like um, point of view and author's, you know, perspective, but then kids don't necessarily apply that to what they're reading online. So they either seem like they're over cynical, they don't believe in anything, oh, that's all, you know, or they just take it all in and don't know what to look at. So, Yes, validity and reliability, trustworthiness, all of that of an author, those are things kids can learn about. It's not a huge thing because they're really interested and they're already navigating that online text. Well, and yeah, and I'm just thinking about um, what we're talking about between the classroom libraries and, and like an electronic book. Mm -hmm. They might not know that, hey, that favorite title that's in that library that somebody else has and you want, mm -hmm. You can look, it might be in a PDF form online. Um, those sticky notes that you're posting it into your books, you know, to either capture vocabulary, vocabulary words that, um, that you want to look up later or you just want to jot down some notes because, hey, this, this chapter has moved me in some way, can, that same strategy can be done on an iPad. Yes. Um, we don't and what an engaging piece. 
Yeah, exactly. We don't always exploit our, our tablets and other tools that we have as teachers to the utmost to make them a vehicle for learning instead of a place to just practice a skill. You know, a lot of people I see use their tech for, okay, these three kids go to the center, there's three iPads there, all of you go on such and such a website and practice such and such a math skill for so many minutes. And I think it's just because not everybody realizes the potential, you know, of what kids can actually do on their own, what they can create and what they can um, share on their tech tools. I mean, they, they can show us. They know. You show yes. them one time, and that's another thing, or you show one kid one time, and that whole class is going to know because they help each other with it. Yes. Because that's how tech works, and they're used to that turning problem solving figured out. And they're not afraid to go ask another kid or a kid will run over and say, hey, I know how to do that. And, and, through, that, and through that task, they're most likely going to learn to do something else or they've exactly. discovered something new. Yes. And they say, hey, can I show you this? I learned how to do this. Look mm -hmm. what I can do. Um, I'm just thinking of tools, too, as that engagement piece. Okay. Um, what do you mean by that? Tell me. I, I just mean, you know, some, sometimes the um, two-dimensional black and white um, typical, you know, read this passage, answer the questions. Mm -hmm. um, many times the students either can't read it independently, they don't know what it's asking, they really don't understand it. I mean, how many times have you collected something and two questions are answered or <laughs> there's doodling on the, you know, in the corners? That never happens um, to me. And they, what you're talking about. <laughs> and they really haven't, cho you know, they haven't chosen that piece to read. And so there's no background or there's just no kind of attachment whatsoever. So they kind of lose focus or they're yawning or rolling around on the carpet or mm -hmm. tapping their foot under the desk or asking to go to the bathroom. And um, But when they're engaged in something real, I mean, I've had kids, just two more minutes, I just need two more minutes, I have, I have to finish this page. Or, hold on, we're almost done, because they're sharing a piece of their writing with someone else. Um, and I think that's the same for technology. Wait, I haven't had enough time, I've just gotten this iPad, I've just been on here, five more minutes. <laughs> and so they start to kind of, when they're engaged, they kind of negotiate with you this more time for work. Um, I love that. Because they feel like it's important and it's something real to them. Mm -hmm. um, and, it's a, and it's a skill that they're going to need for life. And worksheets have their place. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm just thinking about when, when teachers sit down to plan, that's probably another avenue that really needs to be thought through and planned out. Are these independent tasks... Um, going to help them later? Is it, you know, are they really going to enrich their life as a reader and writer, a mathematician, a scientist, or is it just something to keep them busy? Keep them busy, yeah, that's a, I hear that phrase and I think that's, yeah, that goes into engagement and all the things that go around that, you know, what really is engagement? Is it kids being quiet? Is it all, them all sitting you know, doing something, being, you know, compliant, or is it something that makes you work harder and think more, and, you know, there's different kinds of engagement, and 
I think that um, the whole thing that you were just saying about that handout that's maybe an article that you printed off the um, a website that's probably a great website and has lots of great articles. How can you make something like that more meaningful, you know, so that kids, if you are going to ask them to engage with an article like that, what could you have them do with it, you know, other than just answer some multiple choice or some, some um, fill in the blank kind of questions. So I think that's, that's where the challenge comes in because those things aren't ready made for you. Right. You could look at, still look at that article and think, you know, I'll give you an example. Again, with the fifth grade, we were, um, the kids have been working on uh, writing an article, and so in, the, in their Google Classroom, I put an article about uh, how cold does it need to really be for kids to not come to school, right? So they were really interested in that because that's happened lately, and um, the article was about, you know, Chicago versus, you know, this Atlanta, you know, it was really good, and... I knew some of the kids wouldn't be able to read that by themselves, or they wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. So they had a, a version they could read, and they also had a version they could read, but I added audio to it, so I read it. So they, it was really amazing, because so many kids hopped up, kids that wouldn't normally ask for help reading, hopped up and got earphones. I'm like, I want to hear it. So I thought, that's interesting right there, because there were like maybe five kids that I would have never thought would do that. Yes. Um, and I didn't say you can't listen unless, you know, no, if you want to listen and read along, you can do that. And then their task was to write um, to our superintendent about what they think about how cold should it be for us to not have school. And then they had to have, you know, a couple of good solid paragraphs explaining why and they could use what they read there and also their own experience. And it was that, what made me think of it is it was hard to stop them because they were really having dialogue with each other. The kids who waited at a bus stop a long time, you know, they certainly had some things to say. It was really kids who don't have, their friends don't have a good coat or maybe they don't, they lost their gloves and, you know, it was just really good. And that was just a printed off the internet article. That's what that was. But, it, but I feel like probably at the end they... They got much more out of that lesson than they would if they just answered your typical yes. And there were questions, questions about the I article. I could have printed right. questions with sure. it. I could have printed multiple choice, short answer, and you know, extended response that were ready made. And I could have had them do that and then just collected it and been done with it. And through their conversation and them writing for a purpose, mm -hmm. they probably retained a lot more information and remembered it. Yes, and they learned that they can have an article in more than one format and still get really good information, you know, from that. It doesn't have to always be something on paper that they read, you know. So, what do you think about the little kids? What kind of stuff do you expect to see them have in their room? And you think, oh, yeah, it looks like this person is really providing them with tools. I think uh, in the younger grades, it's important to um, provide them with some choice in materials. So, okay. so like, like um, in a writing station, if, if that's what you do, or a shelf, um, different types of um, pencils, whether it's just regular pencils, colored pencils, 
crayons, um, different types of paper, whether it's lined, unlined, um, you know, eight and a half by 11, half of that size. So they just have different um, ways to produce their work. I know some people are afraid of post-it notes with the little ones. Why? Um, I think they just um, use them a little bit too often. Oh. You really have to teach like band-aids. How to like yes. Cover your whole how to use them and when to use them and, yeah. and what's appropriate. But they can learn early on how to flag flag a book yeah. for a purpose and um, really use their illustrations to springboard um, their writing or even. Um, recall some details in a text. We, I was in a kindergarten classroom today and we were writing about fish. They had learned facts um, about fish and they were doing a diagram and labeling it and uh, it was really cool. And they were using, um, some had long paper and some had short and some fish looked like a Pac-Man that was kind of circular and others were long like an oval and um, so it was a, it, and they were just recalling these, um, recalling their facts, um, the parts of a fish through this diagram when the teacher easily could have just had some questions for them to fill in the blank, wow. you know, and it's going to be a lot more powerful and, and these students are going to remember that. So that to me would be an example of an authentic versus non-authentic task. I'm thinking now, <coughs> humor me for a moment here, um, a tool could also be a process, right? And what I'm thinking about is, um, in again, in fifth grade, <laughs> spend a lot of time up there. <laughs> you know how challenging our lovely fifth grade friends can be. But not just fifth grade, third, fourth, fifth grade, I'm thinking intermediate kids, but when they get to the fluent um, levels of reading and they are wanting to read chapter books in book clubs. Um, and then a lot of times what they're doing in the book clubs is answering questions, you know, that are generated from whatever resources available on that book that, you know, they selected to read as a group. and where they're doing a lot of, you know, write a summary of this chapter or um, I don't know, just those seem to be questions and summaries seem to be things that kids do a lot, but I, um, I've been thinking about it lately and I was thinking, you know, if we taught those kids how to do reciprocal teaching, they could each have their role and they would run their own book study together and it's one of the most um, researched, you know, effective strategies, you call it strategy, but I think of it as a process really um, for conversing about a book and for kids to take the lead in asking the questions and they do summarize, but they do that together and they could take any book and they can do that and once they get good at it, they, could, they can take that skill to any level of school working with a small group and talking about any kind of text. And I think that's, that's a, defi um, a definite tool is listening and being able to respond to someone else because you really have to actively listen to what they're saying, mm -hmm. comprehend it, and, and formulate your own response. And that's actually in that 
um, Lucy Calkins' Pathway to Common Core, that is a benchmark in fifth grade for the speaking and listening standards. It's for fifth grade students to hold a conversation around a book on their own without any kind of teacher prompting or, or input. And that's definitely a social skill as well as an occupational skill. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. Those tools... Um, yeah, that process, I feel like, makes that book club more like a book club, because when you're in book club, when you're in a real book club, you everyone talks about the book, and you ask each other questions, and you might go back and flip back through the book to see if you read something, how did that person get that from that when I didn't? Okay, and now I see from their perspective, you know, it's very, it's very um, authentic, as you said, and so their book club should really look more like that. It shouldn't be a small group of kids with books and questions <laughs> to answer about books, because that's not what we do in book club. And a lot of standards can, I mean, I'm thinking of character analysis, opinion, point of view, recalling details. That's just part of the discussion. Right. Um, maybe a new ending, you know, what would happen if, mm-hmm. you know, this didn't happen. The so writing the process, process is like that too. Were you thinking that the yes. writing process, where you go through, you know, you brainstorm and you draft and you revise and edit and you talk to people and you read it to yourself and you read it to someone else and you get input. You know, all of that. When I first learned what the writing process was, I had already been writing like that, but it's just because I intuited it as a kid. I figured out, oh, this is how I should write because this makes my writing better. Nobody taught me writing process so when I learned about it it made perfect sense because I thought yeah that's what you do when you write and there are a lot of kids who still aren't giving getting a chance to go through all those steps and stages you know of creating a piece and that's going to help them definitely that's a process that's a tool would you say yes yes and I think to write um not just in response to a book, but um, to take notes or to just jot down a letter to their friend. If they want to, I'm thinking about kindergarten, you know, going back to lower primary right now, but um, I just think labeling the classroom, I remember doing that, labeling the classroom with my own students. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's done still in a lot of classrooms. I don't really um, see it very often anymore. Um, that definitely helps with independence. If you label the door, the window, they've seen you do it, they've stretched the word out with you, and now they've watched you put it up, that's a word that you don't have to spell <laughs> because they know where to go. And so it, um, that's just another tool right. for, for them to use another, another resource. Just like we use those alphabet charts for younger kids, or we use personal dictionaries for kids. It's just another resource and a tool. Um, But again, I just think it's important when you're planning to also have that step in mind. So I have all my tools, you know, I'm going to use this mentor text, and then we're going to do this activity together, and and then they're going to show me through this independent activity, and then we tend, independent time comes, and it tend to maybe not be as authentic and so we're losing some of that powerful time 
that, that could arguably be the most authentic time if they've got tools that they're used to working with then they're going to be able to use those on their own i always feel like a tool's a tool i don't think of it i guess i haven't really thought of that word tool as much until i started talking about it but i feel like it a kid owns a strategy or or um, something that helps them learn when I hear them ask for it or I see them just go get it. When I see a kid at my table and they don't know how to spell a word and they grab one of the laminated um, Elkhorn boxes and I see them like, I mean, I just, I, I want to tear up because I'm like, yes, that kid just helped herself. She knew. That she needed to go get that. I know kids that'll do that with dry erase boards and markers because they don't like to put it on paper until they have hashed it out somewhere where they can erase easily. And when they go ask if they can get that, yeah, get that, you know. Well, and, and also just just um, logistics. When you have a substitute, so much easier because your kids already kind of run the room. They know what they need. They know where their tools are, like you said. They know what to do, and they just continue to go. So you're out. Learning doesn't stop Yeah. because they are in charge of it. That's definitely the, the, the test is if they can just keep going. So what do we say to new teachers or, um, you know, People who are overwhelmed or they think, oh, I've got to just get this stuff. I can't spend hours planning every single, because we are generalists. And yes. I know that feeling. Yes. I mean, I've taught first Absolutely. grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. I mean, the content in those upper grades gets so massive, and it's more so all the time. And then with the little kids, you have to teach them how to do everything. So, I don't know. I don't want people to burn out, but at the same time... I just always think about as much as you can integrate and as, um, like, we, I was talking to a colleague today and they uh, are teaching poetry and there's a book of poetry that's linked to word study. And so we're like, well, why don't you just pick one of the word study poems? It goes with your, your reading standard. So I think choosing resources that you can get that are high utility, that you can do more than one, um, more than one thing with, mm -hmm. is helpful too. So you're always kind of having in the back of your mind, can I use this tool for different purposes? You know, is it authentic or is it just this one time only? Oh, what do you think about the whole trend of the perfect-looking classroom with the perfect-looking handouts and, the, you know, like there's a whole thing around. I, I think it's really the, the desire to make classrooms look more homey and, and more attractive is a good thing, but it's gone, in my opinion, it's gone to a point of some people feeling like everything has to be like a designer showroom, including everything they hand to their kids. But is that really what well, readings mean? Reading books like Spaces and Places by Debbie Diller and reading books like What Are the Other Kids Doing and The Daily Five, first and second edition, um, still learning to read for the intermediate kids. I'm in that school of thought where when you, on the first day of school, your walls are basically empty. Mm -hmm. You decorate, if you want to use that word, your room with your class. 
So everything that's on the walls are anchor charts that we've created together or the lab we've labeled the room together um, because those walls are really supposed to be teaching walls. They're tools. They're tools. <laughs> they the are, walls tools. are tools. And so I, um, I think I like the flexible seating. I like um, some of those kind of decorative things. I remember uh, reading Sharon Taberski's book years ago and she talked about she took the legs yes. out of her tables and the students sat on the floor um, when I taught long ago um, in another county I did that and so I think that's fine as long as it's intentional and purposeful and I think that those are the words that I always try to have in my mind you know what what purposes does this serve um, what's the intent and is it going to get me to my goal um, and then I don't want to do a lot of prep work if it's not going to get me to my goal. I don't mind putting in the blood, sweat, and tears, as I think most teachers do, but I think they get discouraged when they put the blood, sweat, and tears in, and then they're not getting the results from it. Um, and I think that's where maybe the quick, we're going to go to certain sites yeah um that are ready made that maybe don't align to standards really or well and the worst ones are the ones that have standards alignment but they don't actually align with the standards right that that's what i mean right exactly with. i mean it's just and, and i think resources are, are are a definite issue for tools it's a lot of money to build a library and a lot of schools don't have those funds right and where does that come from and it takes years to... Yes, and then if a teacher yeah. has to change grades, they really, I mean, they have to start, start over. building again at library, and that's really hard to do. I understand that for but sure. I think there may be steps, baby steps, that can be taken to, to kind of dip into the water to say, okay, I can at least try this, mm -hmm. or I can change this or substitute this, or maybe just... Put out a pack of colored pencils if it's that easy instead of the regular pencil. Maybe it's just that tool. Or switch out a note, you know, have them write in a notebook instead of giving them pre-made paper <laughs> that, that has been printed off and see how much more they can write. Um, I remember covering a class once and we just read a book. I had to cover the class with short notice. And I just said, what am I gonna do? And I just grabbed some paper and a book, and we read the book, and we talked about it, and I just said, right, and the teacher came back in, she was in a meeting, came back in and she said, I didn't know they could write this much. Because the paper I gave them was just, that's all I had. It was blank. <laughs> Copy paper. So I just said, do you need more? Do you need? And they were like, yes, I need more. And she had been using the, you know, primary paper with the mm -hmm. box at the top and I think the lines at the bottom and they got one sheet and that was it. Um, and so I think what she saw, oh, they can write more. And so just have that paper on the shelf and let them, you know, go back for more and see what they and can do. And, yeah. They um, usually choose the paper that's suited for them, too. You notice that, I'm sure. They do. They have paper the kids do. They yes, they do. always choose the paper that will allow them to do the work that yes. they can do. Yes. And there's always exceptions to the rule, and you just have to deal with that um, as it comes up. But... I do think what we give 
kids to work with is important and it, it really needs to be thought through and needs to match the goal, your end goal. I think you'll Amen. see some changes. I agree with you on that for sure. Well, so that's just what I wanted to talk about tonight. I love talking about that. It's making me think about mm-hmm. all the great things, and I just, I love it. Like I say, I love it when my kids say, hey, Miss Morgan, can I use the, <laughs> you know, because it's theirs. They, they own it. I love that. Well, any other thoughts? I don't think, I think that's it for tonight. Okay, See so, yeah, good night. See you next time. See you next time.